Father, through the ages, you are a God who has spoken audibly in your word, through your prophets, now by your son in your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you're a God who does that and is not silent. God that speaks into every situation of our lives. And a God who desires us to hear. And so, Lord, as we hear today, I pray that we would also see. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to look upon and, as it were, to reach out the hand to, to touch Christ. Lord, that we would know you more and that we would leave today with a desire to proclaim. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, Chapel Street. Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, here we are, 2024. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's come around very quickly for me. It seemed like it was 2019 last week. And here we are in 2024 already. Oh, hopefully not. By God's grace, no more COVID. And I'm excited that we've got a memory verse, that we've got a, a Bible verse as a church to, as it were, cleave or cling on to for the year. To have something to dwell in us richly in addition to what we read and what we know from the word and to have it in the forefront of our minds to remind us that we need to be proclaiming something. So I'm going to start by asking you to read it with me. Let's read together. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. No doubt through the year we'll have that up on the board again and we'll go through it again. It's not hard to memorize. It isn't, is it? Is it? Can't be that hard. It's not very long. Uh, so I pray that you will memorize it because it's a good one. Because last year we had a year of quite significant evangelism for us. We're a tiny church. It's the way the Lord's planned it for now. Uh, we do pray that it grows and changes in that way. But uh, this is us. And yet we did a lot. We did literally hours of evangelism training. Some of you may not remember it, <laughs> but it was hours and hours. Uh, we did a Hope Explored. We proclaimed the gospel then. Uh, we had that afternoon, that ladies afternoon with craft and the gospel was proclaimed then. And we had the carol service. My goodness, it was a big carol service this year, wasn't it? It was really exciting to see many people, some of whom didn't know the gospel, didn't know Christ, come in. And we proclaimed the gospel there too. But that was last year. <laughs> what are we going to do this year? Because the job's not over. We have to keep proclaiming. That's one of the things we're asked and tasked with doing. And so this verse, I think, works well for us. It provides us with the reminder that there will be new opportunities this year. Some you will make and others you will just take when they come along. I hope you will. But this verse has a context. We can't just understand this verse by looking at one verse and 
uh, bringing memory to it. Uh, you can see the full verse which Anita read for us. And we went a little bit further for a particular reason. So in order to understand this verse, I need to make sure we get the context that it sits in. That's, the rest of it's grayed out. I think you probably can just make it. Apologies if it's a bit too faint. But our verse sits within that context. And right at the beginning, I want to be clear that the Apostle John, who is a disciple, sat with Jesus, lived with Jesus, walked, talked, knew him, saw miracles. He's telling us in this text that there are two things he's proclaiming. They're linked together. And I want to make sure that we recognize the two things. We'll only be looking at one, but it's important we acknowledge the other one. And the second one, which we'll go with first, um, is actually in verse 5. It's a warning. It's not just the gospel that's being given here for non-Christians and Christians. There's a warning for those that claim to be Christian. John says, this is the message we have heard from him, referring to Jesus, and proclaimed to you. So this is it. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And we all say amen, hallelujah to that. But then he goes on to say, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. That is one of the things that John has come to proclaim. The Apostle John. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. That there's a proclamation there that should arrest us. Am I walking in the light? We don't have time to open that up, but the epistle spends a lot of time questioning us on that. How's your walk? He's the light of the world. Are you walking in the light? Are you really a Christian? That's one of the things that needs to be proclaimed. And I'm really pleased that that happens here. We regularly hear the call to holiness, the call to repent, the call to live in that way. But the other thing that he's proclaiming, which gives rise to fellowship, is in verse 1. <clears throat> where the disciple says that which was from the beginning referring to jesus christ we have which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon have touched with our hands concerning the word of life jesus christ the life was made manifest that's the incarnation we just celebrated that at christmas the life was revealed in a human being it was made manifest it was shown to us and we have seen it and we testify to it. And here's the word, proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So the second thing that Jesus, uh, that uh, John is proclaiming here is eternal life. Through the one that was there in the beginning, the one that was made manifest, the word of life, comes eternal life. Okay, so that's a bit of a, a bookend for us on the proclamation that's going on. Let's go back to our verse for the year, verse 3. And I want 
as I read this again, for you to notice what the outcome of the proclamation is, or at least should be. Verse 3, that which we have seen, which we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. The word we use all the time to refer to the to the church. We are a fellowship because we are in fellowship. The word that's used there is koinonia. It literally means in communion. This morning I heard Warren say, we come to the table or something like this in fellowship with Christ. We come in fellowship with Christ around the table. I think that's what he said. This is communion with union, in union with one another, but not just one another, with the Father. Think about that. That's astonishing. God the Father, the Holy One. We are in communion, in fellowship with him. To be in communion means to abide with, to dwell with, to live with. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it shall be done for you. Fellowship with one another so we would proclaim, right? So that people would have fellowship with us. And incidentally, we have fellowship with one another because someone has proclaimed to us the gospel and we've responded. We have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with the Father and we have fellowship with his Son. And that is amazing. Because we were born into a world where we had fellowship with another. Not this one. Not the Holy One. Fellowship with the dark things in life. With sin. With death. They were the things we were in fellowship with. And now that's changed. And I want to say that fellowship is both a spiritual thing and a physical thing. It's spiritual in that it's a supernatural thing that's happened. It didn't involve our doing. That was God's grace that gave it, made it happen. And that supernatural event is that you were born again. You were quite literally regenerated with a new spirit. More than that, God placed his spirit into us. That brings life and truth and amplifies and reveals the word. It's a supernatural thing. And so we are in communion supernaturally, spiritually with God. We are one with him, not in the sense that we're equal to him, but in the sense that there is peace with him there is no enmity there is no strife or war but also we are supernaturally at peace with one another nothing you can do to change that amen god's done that work but we are also in fellowship physically i've already hinted to that we're physically here at least most of us are right we're sitting here we're standing here in our physical bodies, we are communing physically together. And because we're spiritually regenerated, 
There is no enmity here. And so there is no place in the flesh, in the physical union for disunity. There is no place for bitterness or, or, or petulance or anger or hurt or whatever. We can resolve those things in Christ. And listen, the physical picture of unity and fellowship in the body should be seen by the world in a good way, right? Because <laughs> it's not like the world. People should come to church and say, wow, these guys love one another. They come from different backgrounds and different places and they, they've learned different things in life and had different jobs. But they all recognize that they're all sinful before a holy God and they're all redeemed and forgiven by grace. And so there's no enmity or strife. That's totally different to a rotary club or a model railway club or a model aircraft club, which I'm interested in. It's totally different. Most people don't have the power to have that kind of unity. Why? Because they've not been united with Christ. And so here, there should be love. Jesus says, doesn't he, you ask me why they know that you're my disciples? They'll know because of the love you have for one another. Right? My father will be glorified by all of this. That should be what the world sees in us, in all of us. So communion, fellowship, spiritual, physical. And so because we have that communion, we proclaim. We proclaim. And we proclaim Christ until he comes. Hallelujah. What a savior, right? I love singing that this morning. You might say, well, that's great. Amen. Thanks for that. Uh, let's uh, move on now. Let's get the last song. Let's get out there and get proclaiming. But a question should arrive, should land in our laps because there are kind of good ways to proclaim and there are kind of not so good ways to proclaim. There are right ways to proclaim and there are wrong ways to proclaim. For example, if you wanted to go out there and proclaim the gospel, which is what we're talking about, eternal life in Christ, out of a sense of duty, or obligation alone, like we are duty-bound to proclaim, we are doing this as a sense of real obligation, we're commanded to do it, but if that's the reason that we're doing, I'm doing this because I was told to, if that's our approach to proclaiming, that's not the right way. You might say quite simply, if we do that, there's no heart in it. You'd understand that, right? There's no heart, we're just doing it. We're soldiers. We're doing what we're told to do, not because we necessarily want to. And there's a right way. If I could read my notes, it would be helpful. I'll just put these on. And we ought to ask the question, what is it that drives me to proclaim? What's going on in my heart that makes me want to share this message, to declare it? That's what proclaim means, to testify, to, to, to send it forth, to tell it out, tell out my soul, the greatness of the Lord. What is the thing that drives me to proclaim? And the answer would be to look at your motivation, right? What's your motivation behind it? Trying to get brownie points? <laughs> God isn't a God that issues brownie points. Unfortunately, our text gives us the right motivations. Now, there are many motivations that come from the word of God around preaching the gospel. 
Paul expresses it as being indebted to people. There's a sense of the gospel so uh, important, you know, that's so, so important, so rich that he's indebted to those that need to hear it, to give it. There are many motivations, but John gives us a slightly different angle, as he often does with his writing on the motivation. And uh, I'll read it again right back at the beginning so that we can hear it. That, referring to Christ, which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. We've heard, we've seen, we've looked upon, and we've touched. That's his motivation. You might say, well, that doesn't look like a motivation. Well, the motivation is that stuff, seeing, listening, hearing, looking upon, touching, that's fellowship. <laughs> that's fellowship with Christ. John has fellowship with Christ, didn't he? He lived with him. I said at the beginning, he lived with him. He walked with him. He heard him. He saw miracles. He saw the cross. So Jesus Christ died on the cross, probably, unless, unless I'm wrong, probably the only disciple that did. There's a suggestion that all the others did a runner, but John was there. Jesus spoke to him from the cross. He witnessed this. He heard everything he said. He wrote most of it down, or a lot of it down. There's a lot more, he says. There aren't enough books in the world, he says, to contain it. His motivation is that he is communion with Christ, but he knows who he is, like Martha. He can say, I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the Son of God, that you did come to save. And so what does it look like, that fellowship with Christ? Well, I'm going to tell you. Four things, straight out of the text. First one, that which we heard. John heard something. That which we heard. God always starts with words, doesn't he? Have you noticed that? He loves to speak. That's what this is. This is the voice of God. There's nothing outside of this. The spirit, you think, is the one speaking. Yes, he is. He wrote this stuff. He dwells in you. That's how he speaks. This is the word of God. He always starts with speaking. He spoke in the beginning and creation came to be. He spoke through prophets. He spoke to Abraham. He gave him promises. How did he do that? He spoke. He did other things, but he spoke. He spoke through kings. He spoke through burning bushes. He spoke, he spoke, he spoke. And as we learned last time, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son and he spoke through him. Now, in one sense, this is all Jesus. Jesus is the word. The word of life. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh. And he, he had fellowship with us. That's what that word was. He dwelt. He lived. He abided with us. He made his home with us. And we've seen his glory as of the only begotten son of God, says John. He loves to speak. 
And being in fellowship with Christ begins with hearing. It's exactly the same for us. It doesn't start with being good. That doesn't give you fellowship with Christ. It doesn't start with membership. Although, by the way, if you're not a member, I recommend you become one. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But it doesn't start with that. It doesn't come or start with your attendance. Although I'd recommend you attend every week. It doesn't start by what you give financially or by your labor, by your works. It doesn't even start by trying harder, right? We're good at trying harder. We're all weak and fallen. That's not how you have fellowship. And listen, it doesn't start by accumulating knowledge of this. That's just accumulating knowledge of this. I went to a university with the most eminent professors. Did they know Christ? I know two of them did. They had plenty of knowledge of this. That's not how you have fellowship. It starts with listening. Listening to Jesus. Listening to the word of God. Listening is the primary requirement for salvation doesn't it? isn't it faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ the word of god the word says is able to make you wise unto salvation not just wise wise wisdom that leads to salvation and i think if you hear, if you listen and believe, then you will proclaim. We can all hear, by the way, without listening. Do you know that? You can all hear things without listening. That makes sense. I mean, let me give you an example. Just cast your mind back to school days for a second. For some of you, that's uh, going to take a few more years than, than others. I can remember being at school, being, let's say, in a geography lesson and hearing blah, 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 but not listening. And you know what the teacher would say? Austrian minor, pay attention. Listen up. I know that you're hearing, but you're not listening. And so I tuned in and I give you the benefit of everything I learned about glacial deposition and and rain and all, <laughs> all the other things you learn. But we can hear without listening. You can come here this morning. Some of you may be doing that. I hope you're not. Some of you may be doing this. You're hearing what I'm saying. You're hearing the words and you're hearing the sentences. And hopefully by God's grace, I'm being clear. But you're not listening. You're not thinking, how does this apply to me? And so when we hear the voice of the Lord, we need to ask that question. What does this mean to me, for me? But I believe if you hear and you believe, you will proclaim. Okay, so that's point number one. <clears throat> Excuse me, that which he has heard, we have heard. Point number two is that which we have seen with our eyes. Well, you might say straight away the obvious question. Well, John actually did see him physically with his eyes. Surely we can't. And I would have to say that is true cannot see him 
God is spirit, but when he is incarnated, he becomes flesh. So there is something to see. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image. You can see an image of the invisible God. And John saw him, but we can't. We can't see him literally, not yet. Although the day will come when we will. But you might say, as some do, that you can see him figuratively. Well, I'm okay with that. It's true. But I think there's another step where we can see Jesus. Because somehow, supernaturally and physically, you can read this and you can know Christ. And you can see him in a way which tells you you know him personally. Do you get that? I often use this analogy, but if Anthony Albanese were to walk in today, I would see and know that it's Anthony Albanese. But if I'm to really know him, I'm going to go and chat to him. I'm going to engage with him. Well, that's exactly what this is. It's his voice. This is him speaking. He's engaging with us. If you will, he's chatting with us about the most significant things eternally. And to see something, of course, like everything, we need to have our eyes opened, don't we? Can't see things when your eyes are closed, can you? It's obvious. What I want to say to us is to see Jesus. Uh, I think that one of the hymns this morning, see him in Jerusalem. See him on the cross, see him in Calvary, see him, see him, see him, see him. I think that's a beautiful hymn. But it's a work of the Spirit to open our eyes. And when you open your eyes, you don't just look, your eyes are directed to something. If I want to look at Jeff, I need to look at him. Right? Can't look this way, so we've got to have our eyes opened, work of the Spirit, and we've got to have them directed correctly with wisdom. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians when he's praying, he's telling the Ephesians how he prays and what he prays for. He says that he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Did you hear that? These people weren't going to see Jesus in the flesh. Jesus had been ascended. It's probably 40 or 50 AD. This would be even later. And so how was it that they were going to see something revealed? Because if something's hidden, you can't see it. But when it's revealed, it's there to be seen. Pretty obvious, this stuff. Well, the work of the Spirit. It goes on. Let me read it again. This prayer is that God... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Listen, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What a, that's a beautiful metaphor. So you can see something, right? Because your, your heart is dark without Christ. When you generate, when you're regenerated, the eyes of your heart are up, you see something. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, listen, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us 
who believe. And Paul actually goes on. The list goes on. You see Jesus. You see the hope. You see the immeasurable riches. You know something of this, don't you? It's this. It's the Spirit. And seeing is linked to hearing. To be blunt, you won't see anything unless you hear. You just see random thoughts or your ideas about who God is. That's what the rest of the world is doing. You won't see unless you hear and you won't hear unless you read the Bible. And guess what? You won't proclaim. You won't proclaim. So point number one, that which we have heard. Point number two, that, that which we have seen with our eyes. And point number three, that which we have looked upon. Looked upon. Now, this is a bit confusing, right? One minute you're telling us that we can see him, and now you're telling us that we can look upon him. Isn't that just the same thing? Well, amazingly, in the Greek, it's a totally different word. Because there's a difference. And I'll, I'll try and give you an example that I could think of um, about seeing and then looking upon. Imagine for a second you go to visit someone in their house and they ask you to stay over and they give you a room and there's the bed and the room and other things in the room and the towels or whatever else they give you. And you go to bed at night and you turn off the light and there's that moment where the, you know, the light fades and eventually your eyes get used to the darkness, don't they? Well, the secret to sleeping for information is to close your eyes, but let's just imagine for a second that you keep them open and you look around this room that you're not necessarily that familiar with. And you see something over in the corner. Did you hear what I said? It's darkness. Yet you see something over in the corner. You think, what is that? Is that a mop? Why would they have a mop in the corner of the room? You know how your mind does that? What is that in the it's got no, got, got no relevance to you, what's in the room, really. But you see, why is that? The only way to find out and determine exactly what it is is to turn on the light and go and have a look. Right? And you see, oh, it's a puppet, not a mop. Right? It's the only way to do it, to go and have a look. And that's exactly what this means, to look upon. You see, sometimes people get saved. Well, all the time, I would say, people, generally, people get saved and don't know all the theology. They don't know what the Trinity is. They may not even understand the atonement. They may not even understand the depth of depravity of their own life and their own sin. But they see Jesus. And they know that he died for them. They know that he's God like Martha. But then when they look and look and look and look and read and come to church and go to Bible studies and delve and dwell and have the word of God abiding them, the light goes on, doesn't it? You see more, you savor more. Is there a limit to seeing this man? No, but you keep looking, you keep, why do you love me? Why do you, oh, my word. Why, you, you, you're speaking to the Father on the cross for my sin, you're asking, for, oh, right? The light goes on. You see, you look upon him. And another rendering of the Greek is literally to see something by visiting it. 
literally to meet with it. And so looking upon takes another dimension, doesn't it? Because now we can pray. We can speak. We can use words. We hear words. They affect us. They challenge us. They change us. They just cause us to adore Christ. We talk about him being a king that we worship. Why? Because the word has said something to us. We see more. And so we pray and give thanks. We adore him. We confess. We make supplications for others. And he hears us. It's just amazing. And I think that was what it was like for John. Didn't just see him in the darkness from afar. He dwelt with him. He went up close and personal. He looked upon him. He looked upon his life. I think one of the most astounding things that probably came back to him from looking upon him was, this man's righteous. As much as I love you, and I know as much as you love me, we're not physically righteous. We're declared righteous, and we're being sanctified. But this man was right. Look upon Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what John got to see. Well, guess what? So do you. So do you. To see something by visiting or meeting with it personally. Because God's word is a lamp to our feet. A light to our path. God's word is a thing that by the spirit of wisdom opens our eyes and causes us to see. You know, the apostle Paul knew it all. He more or less says so, not in a vain, arrogant way. He says, I, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees concerning the law. He says, I was blameless. I knew all the theology. But he didn't know Jesus when he came to meet Jesus, he was blinded. And eventually the scales fell from his eyes and he saw. And boy, was he ready to go, wasn't he? Because all these other things that he'd been looking upon without Christ being in the center, suddenly all just came together and fit together perfectly. So I want to say to you today, Look upon Jesus. Get to know him. Engage with him personally. Read again and again and again. I so encourage chatting to Liam this morning. I uh, don't want to embarrass you, Liam, but uh, going through the Bible in a month. <laughs> wow. The, the, the milk and the honey of the word just coming down on his life. So he's going through the Bible in a month, and I would say you need it every day. Daily bread. I think we chatted about it. Daily bread. Every day. Not a verse. I know I'm always getting on at you about the little booklets. The little booklets are great, but this is the big booklet. Right? Don't live on the crumbs. You can't live on the crumbs. It's, you're going to perish. There's no nutrients in the crumbs. There's just crumbs. Eat, eat the whole word. Right? Ezekiel. Yeah, the whole Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Study the Bible. Enrich your life. The word say, the word itself says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Right? Rich, let it live there, but richly. It's the word of God. So get to know Jesus. Hear him, see him, look upon him, meet with him, turn that light on. 
Because if you do, you will proclaim. That's what will happen. If you're alive in Christ, that is what will happen. So point number one, that which we've heard. Point number two, that which we've seen with our eyes. Point number three, that which we have looked upon. And you thought I was probably going to avoid it. But point number four, that which we have touched with our hands. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? We can't touch him with our hands. And that's right. But we will. We will. John met with Jesus Christ personally, and so will you. I love the AV's rendering of this. Though now we look through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face. We shall know Jesus as we are known. We're known physically. That's what this is talking about. We're going to know him the same way. That's coming for you and for me in Christ. So he met with him physically and so will we. You know, in this world, world, you're going to hear lots of things. You're going to see lots of things. Most of them are completely unedifying. Most of them are completely untrue. And... They will not help you to live. There are some things that you should never, ever, ever, ever see in this world. And yet the world will offer them at an instant to you. You go looking. Think about advertising. Everywhere you go, there are adverts, aren't they? You can't drive down the road. You can in Armadale, but I suppose there are adverts. YouTube constantly gives you adverts. Instagram gives you adverts. Facebook, why? Because they want to sell stuff. Why? Because the God of this age is mammon, right? Satan's involved in all of that. The world will tell you lots of things. It will show you lots of things, but it will not cause you to proclaim the gospel. And so the question is, where are you spending your time? In the world? Listening to the world's message? Looking at the world's images? I'm not talking about looking at a forest or a waterfall. That's God's world. We're a man's world in the world, if that makes sense. But if you listen and see and look upon, knowing that there is a hope that one day you will touch. I mean, imagine it. Jesus putting his arm around it. Well done, good and faithful servant. That blow your mind? Blows my mind. And so if you invest in these things, you will not be fruitless in proclaiming. And it is the power at work in the gospel message, the person of Jesus Christ that we're learning about, that we're knowing, that we're going to proclaim about. I guess as we move to close, I want you to think about how your proclaiming is, how your declaring is, how your testifying is. What will you talk about at the end of today's message? The things of God or the things of the world? Many years ago in the, I was going to say last century, which is true, in the late 1990s, I worked in America for a company um, called Tom James. And they are the initial um, Encyclopedia Britannica sales people. Do you remember those people? Do we have those here? 
they used to knock on your door with these wonderful books hey look at this you can before the web obviously you can learn all this stuff it only costs you a million dollars or whatever it costs and they had thousands and thousands of people around america selling encyclopedias and more recently i think after the 50s they shifted their emphasis into woven textiles and they sold suits they used the same model they used to have these carry-on um, bags and inside the bag were all the swatches of different fabric and they go to the business people in particular and they'd say hey we're going to do your suit you choose your choose your garment they took the measurements went away they made it and brought it back and took the money and when i was working with them they were going through this um, kind of challenge because what they noticed was out of thousands of salespeople, uh, many of them were completely fruitless. They weren't very good at sales. And there was this other group that were brilliant at it. And they were really vexed by this. Why is this the case? What, what, what is working and what isn't working here? And so they thought, well, maybe we need to do better training. We've done some of that. Well, maybe we need to organize events where people can come and we can do big things and they'll buy the suits. We've done something like that. Maybe we need to inspire people more from the pulpit. But they didn't have a pulpit. So they incentivized people. They gave them bigger commissions. They organized prizes every quarter for the best salesperson in that state. And on and on. It didn't make any difference. And then they realized something about the people that sold really well. And that was simply this. Two things. One, they were older. And two, because they are older, they knew the founder of the business. See, the company had a founder who had a vision to sell stuff. Big deal. And they knew him. They'd seen him, they'd heard him, they'd listened to him, they'd looked upon him, they'd touched him, they shook his hand. And he had, in their world, which is just secular, don't get carried away with this, they had believed in him. And so they were great salespeople. And let me be really clear, we're not selling anything. I don't want you to go away and said, say, Sam said, we've got to get out there and sell the gospel. That's nonsense. What we have is free. It's free. There is nothing in this country prohibiting us from proclaiming this. Nothing. Just now. We don't need incentives. What we need is the right motivation. And here it is, folks. Our verse for this year. By God's grace, at some point, we may be back in Hebrews. We may get to a particular verse that's very much loved by one person here at least that talks about running the race. We've all got a race. We've got to run it. Run it with endurance. You know, casting off the sin that so easily entangles us. Run the race set before you. You know what it says next? Fixing our eyes upon Jesus Fix your eyes upon him, not the world. Then it says, who is the founder and the finisher or the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's our founder, Jesus Christ, who, according to this word, was there in the beginning. <laughs> Didn't just pop up in history to work things out. 
It was all planned from the beginning. The one who spoke and creation came into existence. The one speaking in the burning bush. The one giving the promises to Abraham before Moses, etc. The one speaking through the prophets. And the one speaking in here. Every time we open it and read it. He's our founder. So I want you this year to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix them on him. Hear him. Look upon him. Because you will proclaim like John. Let's read it again as we close. And I'll pray. I'll make one other point, actually. Let's read it together. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Everybody out there that doesn't know Christ needs fellowship, needs this table, needs this word. How did you hear it? Somebody somewhere would have proclaimed it to you. So, folks, let's in 2024 not give up. Let's not rest on any laurels that we have. It was great what we did last year. I was so encouraged by it, but let's press on for the upward call of christ let's proclaim what we have heard let's proclaim what we have seen let's proclaim what we have looked upon and what we will touch at the end of this section paul says sorry john says and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete and you read that and you think oh being a bit selfish <laughs> You know what he's saying? We're telling you this stuff because it's our joy to share Christ with you. We don't derive our joy from the world. This is what brings joy, knowing Christ, being in fellowship with Christ. That's why we're proclaiming. We want you to be in fellowship with us because we've got fellowship with the Father and his Son. And if you're in fellowship with him, we're all in fellowship together and we praise God. And guess what? We get out there and proclaim it even more. That's how churches grow. That's, that's the basic model that God chose. We're not selling it. But this year, I pray that you will make it your joy. That you will consider how and if and when and how much you read the word. That you will see more of Jesus Christ. And that together, not just me, together we will proclaim him to one another. Even just one another, right? but also to the world that needs saving and fellowship with God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, again, I uh, just want to thank you for salvation for me. Those that know you here, Lord, can say the same. We heard by your grace. We saw by your grace. We look upon by your grace. And one day we will touch the Lord Jesus we will be with him and we will be like him. And it's just amazing. And so, Lord, I thank you again for that reality. Lord, we thank you for 2023 and all that you have done through this small group that we are that know you and love you. And I pray, Lord, for this year, you do it again. And Lord, that we would be proclaiming not out of a sense of duty, but because we have real fellowship for the one that we see who is King of Kings, who is Lord of Lords, 
who will return again and who loves us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, amen.